You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 8 of Soft Idolatry. Oh, oh the, maybe the speed isn't slowing down or speeding up with uh, with my recording here. Didn't we? <laughs> Sorry. Did we talk about this last week and then you said something about not letting the listeners in on our technical difficulties and then you just like opened with that today. <laughs> eh, you know, I'm bored yeah. <laughs> and tired. <laughs> Bored and tired. All right. Excellent. Uh, well, hey, tomorrow is National Podcast Day. So happy National Podcast Day. Wow. I'll have to listen to a podcast to mark the occasion. I could recommend one if you need a good recommendation. Okay. Or or, or yeah. we could record one. Or we could do that. And this should be out in plenty of time for National Podcast Day. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, September 30th, share it with a friend. That's a great way to celebrate National Podcast Day and uh, tell people about soft idolatry. Yeah, that that is a great way to clue more people into our very existence. Uh, other than the, the shameless gimmick of recruiting new people to be on our podcast <laughs> so that they'll bring some of their friends into our listening audience. So, oh, hey, do we have a guest today? We do have a guest today. Speaking of new new people, new voices, this is another new voice that has not been on the podcast before. Yeah. Shall we uh, ask him to introduce himself? Yeah. Ryan, why don't you shamelessly introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, my name is Ryan Cobert. I am a husband, a father of two, one of whom is going to have a birthday here this coming weekend. Uh I'm the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Swickley, so that's how I met Pastor Charissa. We were next-door neighbors for a while until she left me for the county jail. And I'm also a nerd who plays Dungeons & Dragons and enjoys live-action role-play. I guess that's I'm a also great. a history nerd, too. So, Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, that is a great introduction. Um so last week we had, or two weeks ago, we skipped last week. There was a vacation last week. We didn't record, but uh, two weeks ago we had with us Katie, who had some great thoughts on um, liturgy and um, parts of like church history and culture that are beautiful, that we want to be careful not to lose um, if we blow up the church. Um and so um, this week we'll see where we'll see where things go. Last week didn't go where we expected, but uh, it was beautiful and wonderful. So, um, so our our question during this little series here, Ryan, and and we've talked about this beforehand, is what would happen if there was no church with no anything right now? What would that look like in today's day and age if the gospel dropped on us today, and we had to figure out how to start it? Yeah, I think that's a. A really great question, and uh, I kind of thought about that for a while. Whenever you asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, if I'd come on to the podcast and do that, and uh, without any further guidance from that, my brain went history mode. Okay, so uh, kind of where in the past has something blown up, kind of everything dropped and started from scratch? 
Uh, so dug deep, went back all the way to uh, ancient Egypt, actually. Because, um, <laughs> you know, anything before the Reformation is too modern for my historical tastes. Uh, and I was thinking of um, the Pharaoh Akhenaten. I don't know if you're familiar. You're probably more familiar with his son, King Tut, uh, where he basically did just what you're talking about. He blew up the Pantheon and went and switched all faith, outlawed all other kind of deity worship, except for the sun disc, Aten, Aten, uh, and kind of was thinking, okay, well, what was the fallout from that in that era? If we were to do something similar, would it look like what King At- or Pharaoh Aten, Aken Aten did? Um, it didn't really turn out well for him <laughs> at all. Uh, he, he made a lot of enemies, we'll put it that way, uh, with the ruling and uh, religious elites. So I don't expect that blowing up the church in our modern day context would go the same direction. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a Lutheran, you ought to have particular interest in this topic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I certainly do. But like I said... Uh, Reformation, that was only a little over 500 years ago. This is a little bit farther away from that, which is more my historical jam. But uh, yeah, Luther did a lot of that, but he also didn't want to abolish religion or, or, or change it. He just wanted to kind of, uh, well, reform it and bring it a little bit more in line with what he saw in the Gospels and what he was reading. He also had a powerful prince to protect him. Oh, yes, <laughs> he did. Frederick was certainly uh, quite influential in keeping him safe and alive. Uh, yes. So, knowing the limitations of what happens when somebody tries to blow it up, what would you do to reconstitute the church if somebody, let us suppose somebody else blew it up for you? How would you try to reconstitute it? Say well, maybe a, a pandemic. Yeah, maybe a pandemic. <laughs> Put the monkey wrench that's into a things. Great there question. Uh, yeah, that's a yeah, that is a big monkey wrench to throw into our current contemporary situation. Um, well, one of the things that uh, I know that. Uh, Carissa and I, we've talked in the past was digital communities and how that is completely a thing. Um, but it's different. I mean, thinking, you know, some of the beautiful, faithful communities that I've been a part of um, being in seminary and living in an apartment building with, you know, three other families on our floor and, hey, can you watch the kids? I have to go to class. Sure. <laughs> Send them across the hall. Uh that was wonderful. We'd be able to support each other that way. Um, digital community is a little different. You can't just send the kids over, so to speak. Uh, there's other ways that we can connect that way. Um, I guess from some of my own experiences, most of it um, with gaming, uh, Carissa and I, we have a game going on. Um uh, we can't physically be in the same space to play it, but we also connect with people, other clergy um, around the United States. Um, one's in Iowa, and I can't remember where uh, Amy is. I think she's Nebraska. 
That sounds correct. Yeah, so we, we have a, a Dungeons & Dragons game going on. And it's been going on for like over a year now, too. Oh, it's about at least six months. At least six months. Because yeah. uh, my notes go back to November, I think. So almost a year. Um, yeah. But I would argue that that's completely a community. That mm-hmm. The way that we play and connect via the internet but how does that build into the church? That's another question, the whole nother question. Um, other communities that I've been with online digitally and whenever it leaks out that, Oh, you're not just a player of this game. You're a pastor. How, what is a pastor doing playing this game? Inevitably, as soon as that comes out, two or three private messages show up. Hey, uh, I've got this question. <laughs> and it's just amazing how they're just willing to ask that question, those questions. One was, uh, how do you as a, you know, as a pastor view communion? How does it, how do you understand Christ's presence? And I knew I was talking to a Catholic because uh, of the way, the language that they use. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a good conversation. Others have contacted me time to time about um, grief or about um, some medical issues, or just simply, hey, I've got this going on. Can you pray for me? It's been amazing. I mean, that certainly, the request for a prayer certainly cuts against the grain of online relationships or not real relationships. In, in, Brick and mortar church, we so often pray for people who aren't there with us. We pray for friends of friends or cousins of friends or friends of cousins of friends' cousins. You know, that's just what we do. And uh, that, that is certainly, um, if somebody has that level of trust in you, that certainly sounds like a real relationship to me. Yeah, I think it's like just a different, it's just got a different vibe, but that doesn't make it any less legitimate. Absolutely. And I think, Alan, as you were saying, the trust is there. And I think that's super important Um, in any relationship, whether that's in person or digital. um, Trust in person looks certainly a lot different than trust um, through a, a game of some sort. Um, the stakes within a game are just, okay, I win or I lose, or I accomplish this goal. But it takes the team working together, each fulfilling their role to accomplish that goal. So that the trust there doesn't have any consequences really out of the game. But in an in-person relationship, together working towards a goal, there is probably a little bit more risk reward in that regard. But whether you're in person or digital and you're accomplishing that goal, there's still that buildup of trust. So what other, uh, what other elements trust is one of those hallmarks of community? What other elements would you search for to reconstitute community or to reconstitute the church? I think openness, honesty, being true to yourself 
Um, that's one of the things that I've found in the past as a camp counselor was really important. Being who you are um, and being able to share that vulnerability with one another is really important. To be able to, to not have to wear a mask around your friends and around your colleagues, around those around you. You don't have to put on airs. Being your authentic self really shows, and other people can sense that and see that in you. Um, multiple times, friends and uh, colleagues, when at summer camp as a counselor, would tell me, you know, you're, you are who you are. <laughs> you're not pretending. You're not trying to be someone you're not. You're just true. And that was a really awesome affirmation as I was in a very difficult time of my life trying to figure out who I was. So I was just figuring out, you know, I don't have to pretend. Not here. Just be. And the level of trust that was gained from just being myself was amazing. And it wasn't just me who was doing it. I could tell that there were other counselors, other staff who were doing the same thing. And the level of trust that we had because of that was amazing. So I'm about to go somewhere that could either be a rabbit trail or it's going to come around real neatly. And we're just going to go with it and see what happens here. Um, Alan, your video went blurry, but you're probably rolling your eyes at me right now. Um, so it, it's really funny because you said uh, no, no, wearing no masks, which is kind of hilarious in today's context. Um, and I, I realized quickly you were not advocating not wearing masks around other people during a pandemic. Um, right. But, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, exa exactly. But like we, it's funny because people have been so weirded out by that particular thing at church, even as we've been starting to gather. And I just, I wonder, and I have absolutely no evidence to back this up, but it would be an interesting conversation to have with people is part of that because um, we're so used to putting on our church airs that anything that changes our countenance, like, I don't know, it like screws up our figurative masks as well. Um, yeah, like we're just, we're uncomfortable enough with those figurative masks that the real ones, the literal ones are causing us angst. That's not a fully formed thought yet, but I just, that occurred to me. Yeah, so 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 let me uh, let me tweak that a little bit and say, what is it about um, what is it about a fantasy role playing community that is more real, uh, that is less masked than say church? I would say based on uh, some of the stuff that I do with live action role play, because a lot of those folks also have contacted me and asked me for things, is whenever we're in that character, we're 100% that character and we recognize that. And so we can see plainly when we have the mask on and when we don't. And sometimes when we are in role-playing and it gets very emotional because we, we can get very emotional in some of, uh, some of the plots that we do and, and plots that I've been a part of. And it feels so real that there are times when we pause and stop and say, Hey, are you doing okay? Kind of an emotional check-in because sometimes that line between 
role play and reality gets so blurred and so thin, um, especially if some of the topics that we're going through have real life kind of um, triggers, consequences. Uh, the idea of life and death, losing loved ones, that's going to hit you whether it's reality or role play, um, especially when you're that close to each other. And so I think there's an authenticity there within the role play that we are acting out so that when we get out of character, we can check in and say, Hey, are you, like I said, or, Hey, are you doing okay? I know that this, that, you know, you have enough rough time with this certain issue. And I know we kind of touched upon that a little bit. Um, and we just trust each other. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about being on a shield wall and literally having to trust the person next to you uh, to protect you and keep you safe and you keep them safe when you're in that kind of a situation. And if, yeah, it's a game. It's fun. But, you know, I can rely on this person to have my back quite literally when our backs are against each other in a physical combat sort of situation within the live action role play. But that also translates to outside of that game. Like, Hey, I trusted you with my life and you took care of me in game. I can trust you with this conversation because we have that connection. So I, I guess what, what, what I'm almost hearing hanging in the air is that you don't necessarily find this in church. I find that, yeah, people in church wear those figurative masks sometimes. I have found, you're right, a lot of times, in a lot of ways, I've had more meaningful conversation about faith and theology with people who wouldn't dare set foot inside of a church, an organized religion. Yeah, I would say the same, um, both about... um, you know, like role-playing games, um, and that kind of community. And also, um, you know, as a lot of people know, I'm an athlete. I do CrossFit. I, I run a lot and I've had conversations on the pavement with people or in the gym with people that know I'm a pastor and just heard me drop an F-bomb because I dropped a big barbell in the middle of a workout. <laughs> and so, but there's something, um, that they, they trust about you when you're doing that kind of like normal life with them. Like, this is my life. This is a big part of my life. And you're here alongside me doing it. And, um, it, it, it builds things from the ground up in a way that I, you know, part of the reason I'm, I'm asking myself and the people around me, this question about what if we blew up the church is that I don't think the church does that anymore. The church doesn't know how to be alongside the world that has changed too much for them to keep up with. I would totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, the, those folks that you do CrossFit and running with and those folks that I, I game with and role play with, they see me as a human who happens to be a pastor. They don't see me with a collar. They see me in a medieval garb with a flowing cloak. They see me behind a dungeon master screen first and foremost, who's also, oh, happens to be a pastor. And I think that that, yeah, says something about our role as ministers, uh, priesthood of all believers, that we are to be in the world, that we are to be where the people are and connecting with people where they are. 
whether that's being an athlete, whether that's being a chaplain at a hospital or in a prison or on a game, we need to meet people where they are and show, yes, we are human and we can trust one another. I think what I'm hearing is that we either need to take little old ladies into battle or start a D&D based church. I'm down for that. <laughs> Who gets the offering? <laughs> Whoever wins the battle. <laughs> yeah, I think being in as a part of the community, and I've been trying to, to work with my congregation doing this, we, we, we fund things behind the scenes, but our little church off of the main roads here in Swickley, uh, I don't think people would know where we are or what we do. Um, we started a little free food pantry. So the, the kids coming home from middle school down the street go, oh, hey, look, there's the, the box with the snacks in it. They at least know where we are now. And trying to share and say, hey, <laughs> let's find ways to let the community know that we're a part of it, that we're here. And that we are here to support one another, not just to keep our doors open. I think that's a an important thing. A church that nobody knows where it is. Carissa, what, what is that? Can you relate to that at all? Too soon, buddy. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's right. So that's part of the problem. And especially in the Pittsburgh area, you have all these little neighborhoods, you know, big jokes in Pittsburgh, for those of you who aren't Pittsburghers, are that Pittsburghers don't cross rivers or go through tunnels. And if you've ever seen the geography here, it's impossible to get anywhere without crossing a, a bridge or going through a tunnel. And so there were all these little community churches and every little neighborhood had a Lutheran church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, and a Roman Catholic church, and sometimes something else too. And so now every little neighborhood still has a Lutheran church, a Methodist church. Some have two Presbyterian churches. They have a Roman Catholic church and sometimes something else. And um, so you've got all these little churches tucked in tiny weird pockets in residential neighborhoods and um, with with no parking, with no parking or little parking. Right. When people always drive to church. And so it's just, yeah, things have changed. And the way that people are community with one another in the world has changed so dramatically. You know, we don't go to community at a social hall in the ways that we used to, right? So veterans associations and rotaries and, and all of those other organizations that boomed around the same time as the church, they're struggling with membership too. It's not just the church um, because we're trying to figure out how do we do community these days. Yeah, and, and you know, the, it was so, some of those. The, the last church that I served was out in the country, or at least it was out in the country uh, when it was built in the when it was founded in the 1780s, when everything was the country, and even in the 1880s, it was out in the country. But uh, at least they had space to build a parking lot when people started driving, as opposed to you know, riding their horses to church. But, did they ride their horses to church or did they just walk? No, many of them would have come far enough that, that you can't understand that if you're all living on farms, they take up yeah. space and uh, what might be a five or a 10 minute walk for one member would be yeah. a 50 minute walk or a two hour walk 
for someone just a couple farms over. So, yeah. I don't know why I'm so charmed by that. I feel like I'd be disappointed if there's not still a hitching post outside of that church. <laughs> but at least well, they've moved forward. They've made some sort of progress forward. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But so, that's still, you know, um, historically, that, that says that uh, the church made uh, technical changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were able to um, build parking lots and, and spaces to accommodate people who were just a little too far away to walk where, you know, I can, I can think of a, a church in Pittsburgh where I served pulpit supply that uh, they were not on the main drag in their neighborhood and they just had street parking. And when that church was built probably around 1900, everybody would have walked to church and it wouldn't have been more than a five or 10 minute walk for most people. And they didn't even have the capacity to make a technical change, let alone a, um, uh, sorry, my brain just went sideways. What's, what's the other kind of change? Adaptive. Adaptive change. Thank you. And, you know, it sounds like um, what, what I'm hearing in Ryan's response is that we have a situation where adaptive change is needed, but our congregations are still hung up on technical change. So what are the idols that are stopping us from adaptive change and for those who aren't into like the seminary pastor speak right technical change is um little like little fixes to put a band-aid on the problem whereas adaptive change is cultural change within the organization for instance uh we we have a lot of members who are getting old and the sanctuary is difficult to access so a technical change is to raise some money and put in a chairlift or some other physical adaptation. Mm -hmm. Another technical change that I know I've been a part of is if we get a young pastor with kids, other young families will want to be a part of that as well. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't know if I need to tell you how well that's worked out in either of my calls. Um, <laughs> but so, so, so you've been listening to our podcasts and you've heard <laughs> us make that joke, right? <laughs> oh my! It goodness. goes around clergy circles, no matter the denomination. Oh, Correct. it's universal truth that congregations want a young pastor to bring in the young families, and that's not what brings in the young families. I think. That oh, to to kind of answer that question, what are some of the idols? One of the ones that, as a younger person, I see and that I hear is our own nostalgia. I know you talked about that at the last podcast. Our own nostalgia holds us back. We want those days when families had five, six kids. Those days when we had to build the extra building for the education wing to hold everybody when people stayed in the same location, the same town that they were born in, these are just things of the world that don't happen anymore. 
or or at least um, they don't happen as much and uh, they don't always happen in the places that we currently inhabit. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I served, my last congregation was down in the Mon Valley and, you know, the Mon Valley is very much a time warp and that, that, that they are still um, hoping it will be 1962 again. And, uh, here in Jersey, in central Jersey, where I am, the population is much more transient. Um, I've been here three years, and I think half of the people who were on the pastoral nominating committee uh, that called me have since left the Freehold area. And, uh, you know, that that is night and day different from... Western Pennsylvania congregations where no people, people sometimes leave, but mostly the only time somebody leaves a congregation is when they pass away. And uh, so, so, I mean, it's, it's bipolar. There are some places I think that haven't been as deeply touched by the trends in uh, church participation, but it's uh, certainly the people who are touched by it and haven't adapted are <laughs> uh, are really hoping that it be that it'll be 1962 again. So 1962 is an idol. What else? <laughs> I don't remember 1962. I'm too young for that. Uh, I think we all three are for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, uh, honestly, part of it also comes to mind is that our buildings themselves can become an idol because buildings need to be kept up. Building need, buildings need funds and we have to find ways to fund that. And how do we fund that? Well, we put more people in the pews, but that's not the purpose of church is it. I mean, think it's coming together in community around a purpose, around a mission. And the building just so happens to be a place where we can congregate rather than the place that we need to keep open, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and building needs have changed since the idol right. of 1962, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Co- correct. But if if you are fortunate enough to be in a building that was built in 1962, you probably have a lot less... Uh, a lot less money tied up in maintaining the building. You mean than you might have if, a boiler that works consistently? Yes, you might have a <laughs> boiler that works consistently. Uh, <laughs> although we just got a very uh, a very favorable estimate on our boiler replacement. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I, um, I serve in a congregation that has a sanctuary that was built in 1873. So, uh, it is just an insane task to keep that building up and running. I can only imagine yeah, ours was, yeah. ours is only from the 19, 1921. So, mm-hmm. but still yeah, that's so certainly, certainly better, but also certainly old enough that you've got, um, 
you've got a lot of issues and you're probably coming up on the time when you need to replace your second boiler. They actually are both fairly new. So hopefully our boilers are okay. Um, Let that be the next pastor's problem. <laughs> yeah. And then down the road. That's uh, right. That's right. I had a thought and then it flew out of the window and I can't remember what it was about another idol. effect on people. Yeah. That's all right. It's all right. Um, Yeah, well, I think those oh. are some big ones, and I think those are some consistent ones we're gonna we're gonna see in talking to folks across denominational lines too. Did, did I did I see an epiphany? Yes, I, I remembered you? it. Yes, uh, the one of the things I don't know if it would be considered an idol or a golden calf, but the idea of if you come here, you have to be like us. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I I I don't know. I think the the idol there. Uh, I think you're naming something that's real, but I yeah. think it's a subset of the nostalgia idol. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I was trying to place it, and I just couldn't, couldn't pin. No, I, it I definitely that. think that's a function of nostalgia. That um, there was a time when most of the people in the pews either were very similar or at least pretended to be very similar. Mm-hmm. Back to the whole masking issue, and. Uh, I think that that um, that's kind of a proxy for a time in a person's past that they didn't have to think about the difficult questions uh, that, you know, the, the people who are yearning for, again, 1962 are people who are kids in 1962 or were young-ish adults with young families and their whole lives ahead of them. And uh, they're in a world that doesn't make sense to them anymore. And so they want that thing that seems familiar, even if when you take off the masks, it wasn't anywhere near as good as people remember it. Hmm. I was actually going to disagree with you, Alan, and push back a little bit and say, I think it is something different. And then I changed my mind <laughs> because uh, even if it's not necessarily a subset of nostalgia, it's certainly totally wrapped up into it because mm-hmm. the the good old days that people are thinking about in church days are when a mandate was set forth from on high that thou shalt and thou shalt not. And mm-hmm. one did not argue with the way that people in your box of being thought. And yes. that is a big cultural shift that has changed, I think. And we've, we've seen that as Gen Xers, Alan, I think from the time like growing up, we've, mm-hmm. we've been watching that shift happen right in front of us and it's happened at different levels. So it's happened within the church and it's also happening within, you know, like the, the way that political conversations go and, and things like that. And so a lot of people are pushing back on this idea that you have to think or do a particular thing or, or way of being um, to be a good Christian or a good person or a good Republican or a good Democrat or whatever. And um, so all that to say, I just talked myself out of it because I do think people are trying to 
reach back to a time when it was easier to figure out what to think and do and say, because somebody else told you what to think and do and say. And now right. if somebody else is coming along and saying, well, no, we've changed our thinking on that because all of this stuff has come out and we've had these conversations with people. Folks don't like that. <laughs> because it's no. not what they learned church was back mm -hmm. in 1962. So to conclude, <laughs> the it is no longer 1962. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually agree with Alan on this. Yeah. Huh. Whew, that's a lot, guys. Well, shall shall we close in prayer? I think that'd be great. Yes, uh, I'm please. wondering if we can uh, put upon our guests to close us in a word of prayer today. Is that putting you on the spot a little bit much? Oh, jeez. We are clergy and all. You should <laughs> be able to clergy. handle this. It's like it's like one of those things that we do. It is yes. the thing we do. Yeah, absolutely. So please let us pray. Hey, God. Community is tough. It's hard to be not just our true authentic selves with one another. Sometimes it's hard to be our true authentic self with you. But you call us into community. You call us to be there for one another. You call us to lean on one another. And we try. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail. But you're always there to catch us, pick us up, dust us off, point us back in the right direction. We trust you that as we move forward as people, as people of the world and of the word, that you guide us into what this faithful community is for this age, just as you have led your people into faithful community in ages past. Lead us as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. <laughs>